Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature Dr. E.V. Hill, who was born in a log cabin on November 10, 1933. He grew up in poverty in Sweet Home, Texas, where blacks were lucky to graduate high school. He was raised by his non-biological mother he called Mama, who emphatically supported his education. With Mama's help, he graduated high school, then entered Prairie View A&M University on a four-year scholarship. Dr. Hill launched the Lord's Kitchen, providing thousands of meals per week. His church also built homes for the elderly, created a community bank, and gave out clothing. Evie Hill was also nominated by Martin Luther King as the president of King's Southern Baptist Leadership Conference. In 1961, Dr. Hill took charge as pastor of the historical Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church of Los Angeles, where he remained the beloved pastor for 42 years. He supported and was a friend to Ronald Reagan and was even offered a full-time position by President Reagan at the White House as chairman of the National Civil Rights Commission. Today's message from Dr. Hill is simply the book. So it's a joy. It's a joy to be back in San Diego and see some of my friends. National Baptist Convention, a city that I've come to often. Now tonight, I, I want to talk about, first of all, I want to read uh, a passage of scripture. I always like to read it. Uh, get back to it if I can, but I want to read it here. <laughs> and I, I want to read right from the King James Version. I, I have a Bible that Dr. Chase gave me, and it's a nice Bible. I really carry it around because his name is in it. But I prefer reading from King James, just like the Lord dictated it. I want to <laughs> read it just, just like the Lord dictated it. I want to read it here. In the third chapter of 2 Timothy, and that very familiar passage of scripture, <clears throat> all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I want to talk about the transforming power of the Word of God as it relates to society, and I want to base my argument on what the Bible did for us in Sweet Home. Now, Sweet Home is a rural community, and you can quickly locate it. It is about nine miles from Seguin, 12 miles from Geronimo, 7 miles from McQueenie, and 11 miles from Jake's Colony. Now, do you have it located now? <laughs> All of those are major cities or towns around Sweet Home. <laughs> About 30 miles close to San Antonio, Texas. Sweet Home, once upon a time, was a community of about 10 miles by 5 miles. And that solid piece of community, it was a rural community. We didn't even have a store. 
we had to go to uh, Seguin for our store, Elm Creek, which was about nine miles away. But it was a solid community owned all, every foot of it was owned by Negro people. Ex-slaves founded that community. Slaves, my great-great-great-grandfathers founded that community. It was a community where most of the homes were log cabins. I graduated from high school out of a two-room log cabin. And you know it's quite an adjustment to sleep in Westgate. <laughs> quite an adjustment. I called my secretary and, and, and tried to convince her that I didn't have an appointment for tomorrow so I could at least sleep until two o'clock. Coming out of a log cabin, but sweet home community. It was at one time voted as possibly the most progressive rural community of Negro people in the United States. We did not have money. We were never told we were poor. And thus we assumed that we were rich. We had, uh, uh, we started the rural co-op. Uh, we didn't have enough money to all have molasses meals, so we pitched in together and had one and staggered our planting. We couldn't buy a peanut shaker per farm. We didn't have that many peanuts to shake on each farm, so we bought one. We couldn't buy a hog killing uh, a place like that, so we built one. And we lived together. We had a high school, junior high school, elementary school, church, we had the 4-H club, the NFA. We had a great little community. Now, in Sweet Home, in all of the years that I lived there, which was from the time I was four until I was 17, we never had <clears throat> but one killing in the community from four to 17, 13 years. And nobody in Sweet Home killed the person there. It was a Negro that came up from Low Colony. And we called him Low because they lived down in Low Colony. He came up and shot one of our boys. That was a shocker of, the wor of, 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 of Sweet Home. Somebody got killed in Sweet Home. Five miles wide, 10 block, 10 miles long, thickly populated community. One killing, and we haven't had one since I've been gone. So one killing in 30-some years at Sweet Home. In Sweet Home, we never had, the sheriff never came to Sweet Home and arrested nobody other than this person who got killed. Well, he really didn't arrest them. Two of the deacons arrested the man and carried him to the sheriff. In all the days I lived in Sweet Home, I now live in South Central, and I cannot boast of this. But in all of the days I lived in Sweet Home, no sheriff, no policeman ever came and arrested no one. Now there were times that word was sent by the sheriff to an individual to come in and talk with him about a case. 
that you might be involved in. And there was so much dignity until they would go to town and say, Mr. Sheriff, I hear you looking for me. And I'd like to talk with you and get it straight. No one ever starved in Sweet Home. Now, I was possibly, Mom and I were probably the poorest house in Sweet Home. I was not Mama's real child. She helped my mother by rearing me. And my father, I found him dead when I was 11 years old. And so Mom and I in a log cabin. And Mama never received, and I'm not against it, but she never received a check in her life, a welfare, uh, SSI, whatever it is, check in her life. But nobody ever starved in Sweet Home because anybody who was ever hungry could just pass the word around and people would just share abundantly. And so if there was, in my own estimation, if President Reagan would call me tonight and ask what could be done about these nation, this nation's problems, I would say, Go to Sweet Home and duplicate whatever they're doing. Because the answer to the problems of the United States, no crime, no poverty, no need for policemen, no mugging, no rapes, no, uh, well, even in my town, a man didn't even have the privilege of jumping on his wife. One tried, I forget his name. Well, no, I know his name, but I wouldn't dare announce it. He might have a cousin. <laughs> One tried, and uh, the deacons went over and warned him that in sweet home, men do not hit their wives. Men do not mistreat their wives. Men do, do not mistreat their children. And they warned him that we hope we won't have to come back again because we're deacons of the church and we just came over to give you a brotherly warning and he jumped on his wife again and the deacons went over and beat him up and that was the end of that. <laughs> that was the end of that. No more. He didn't whip her no more because when they, when they got through with him, uh, he got the word. And so if I were asked to give evidence of the transforming power of the scripture, I submit in evidence, sweet home, my old community, where I'm going back this summer to preach again. I was, I was humbled to no degree that the little church that's still there taught the story of my life in vacation Bible school. I'm going back to Sweet Home. Why? What was in the water in Sweet Home? <laughs> well, that cannot be the answer because we didn't have running water. The only running water we had was me running with the bucket to get some water. That was all. <laughs> We had individual wells, and those who were too poor didn't even have money to dig wells, so we had to pack water from either a tank or well about a mile away, and I had to pack it. Whenever we could get 50 cents, we'd, borrow, we'd buy a barrel. 
But what's the basis of such a community? And I would almost venture to say it's just about like it was when I left. What is there in Sweet Home? It's not the peanuts. It's not the hickory nuts. It's not the poor rabbits nor squirrels. But way back there, and I don't know when, but way back there, the people in Sweet Home were told and believed that God had given us a book. That's what we have. We have a book. A book. Called the Bible. That's what my mama believed. My mama believed that we have this book. And my mama taught me and her mother taught her that this book is God's word in the words of men by the will of God. We have the book, not a book, we have the book. And they were arrogant enough to say this is the book, not, 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 not one among some books. This is the book. This book is to be used to shed light and to correct all other books. Ever so often you see somebody talking about they wrote a book to shed some light on the scriptures. Oh, no, 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 no. Blind man showing the way. No, no, here is the light. Here is the light. Now that, that, that's, that's what got into Sweet Home at an early age, right out of slavery. They said, we have a book. And they went on to say, and this book was given to us by the inspiration of none other than God himself. God said it. I hear people in Sweet Home, some of them couldn't read, but they'd go around talking about, we got the book. <laughs> we got the book. D.E. King of uh, Chicago, used to be a Louisville conductor, one of the great preachers of our time. He used to read for his grandmother, and uh, his grandmother couldn't read. She couldn't read a word, but she'd say, all right, daring, read. And he'd start reading, she said, you made a mistake. It don't sound like God. <laughs> it sound like look, look like you put a little something in there. And then he'd read it over and she said, ah, read on boy. <laughs> this, this book was precious to those who couldn't read it. People going around talking about, Hill, do you understand Greek? No. You understand Hebrew? No. You understand Latin? No. But here's some folk that didn't even understand English. <laughs> With preachers preaching in Greek, choir members singing in Latin, no wonder the folks talking in tongues.
And that's not a down on the tongue. I believe in that. But I'm trying to say, they had an appreciation for the book that they didn't understand. And the explanation was that we don't have to understand it. We trust God. God gave it to us. God said it. I don't have to believe it. That's it. Somebody said, God said it, I believe it, that's it. No, no, you don't have to believe it. It's still it. <laughs> you don't have to believe it. it. It's still it. Now, Mama taught us that it was logical that God would give us a book. That God would give his church a book. God being all wise. God knowing everything. God foreseeing what we are now in. God understanding this rise in, 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 in thoughts of men and in education and in philosophy and what have you. It's just logical that one of God's gifts to the church would be the Bible. God in his own wisdom and his own way said that in 1981, as well as if I delay my coming in 1991, they will need a word. They're going to need a book. He saw all of these press rolling and everybody writing a book and writing books and books and books and books and all of the libraries. He knew that all of us would not be men of high education and wisdom. He knew that we would not all be speakers of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, nor English. And so he said, I'm going to bless the church with a book. And it will be the book. And my community accepted that idea. Now, it's logical. <clears throat> You'd go out here and buy a brand new car. In the morning, they'd give you a book. If you would go out here and buy television set, they would give you a book. If you would go out here and buy a gun, they'd give you a book. That with everything comes some instructions. With everything comes some information. And so if those who buy cars need a book, if those who buy television and appliances, what about those of us who would dare walk and follow in the path of our law? We need a book. And thank God we have one. It's just logical. It's it's logical, and it's not only logical, but it reveals not only the wisdom of God, but it reveals the goodness of God in that he blessed us with the book. Because if we didn't have the book, so many of us would be in total frustration, total confusion, and total darkness. At the Mount Zion Church where I pastor, I'm called old-fashioned, I'm called foggy, I'm called way behind time. As a matter of fact, down in Morehouse College last week in Atlanta, a professor called me the most stupid preacher he had ever met in his life. <laughs> but I thank God all of my stupidity, all of my old-fashionedness, all of my behind time is on the fact that I refuse to go further than the book. 
Ain't going no further, ain't going no further, no further, no further. You go right ahead, but I'm not going no further because with this book, it doesn't matter who I put up to preach at Mount Zion. He has to come according to the book. And if he doesn't come according to the book, I have mothers on the mother's board who will correct him. It doesn't matter whether he's professor so-and-so. It doesn't matter whether he's been to the cemetery or seminary. It doesn't matter where he's been. He's got to come according to the book. And Sweet Home was without murder. Sweet Home was without stealing. Nobody ever remembers losing anything in Sweet Home. You could leave your doors open and your key, if you locked it, could be under the rock. You could go to San Antonio. All you'd have to do is just wave about a half mile away and say, Kelly, we're going for three days. Look out for us. And when we would come back, Kelly would have picked up the mail, put it on the bed, fed the hogs, fed the chickens, put water out for the chickens and said, now come on in, Ella, and see that everything is here. But in the day in which we live, you can't tell Callie you're gone now. Callie will wipe you out. <laughs> but this phenomena, and it is a phenomena, this unusualness, and it is unusual, we must not overlook its reason. And that is in Sweet Home, the Bible was regarded, accepted, defended, contended, argued as the word of God. God said it. Now, whenever we ran across something we couldn't quite understand, we never attacked the Bible as having no errors. That isn't what we said. We said, Lord, open up our understanding and open up our blinded eyes and tack our preacher's head to the wisdom post. <laughs> that's a good prayer, that's a good prayer. A lot of preacher's heads need to be nailed to the wisdom post. It never occurred to us that the Bible was wrong. We were never that arrogant. It never occurred to us that there was an error anywhere. When everybody talked about what fish could swallow Jonah and start arguing about the size of the fish mouth, Mama had to answer, you ain't seen all of God's fish. And she told us that God blessed the church with the book. Oh, my God, where would these liberals have us today? Where would our churches be? Where would evangelism be? Where would soul winning be? Where would mission be if God hadn't given us a book? If we had to phantom through all of these newly written books to try to find the way, where would we be today? And so we have a book, and it is reasonable if the book came from God, it is without error. Because how can an all-wise, unerring God give an erring book to us? 
And so it is just reasonable that the omnipotent, omniscient God, who, who, who in him there is no imperfection, thus whatever he brings forth, even if it touches the hands of erring men, the Holy Spirit has the power to at that moment perfect and bring into conformity the exact word of the omnipotent God through erring man. And if he can't do that, he's not God. If he can't make a straight lick with a crooked stick, he's not God. But he can. And Mama said, and it was reasonable that if it came from God, not only would it be without error, not only would it be a blessing to the church, but Mama said that it would be a complete word. A complete word. So that you would never have to get together and write another one. Because, because with whom would God consult about updating his thoughts? All there is he knew before it was known to be known. All that there is God knew in the beginning and there is nothing new under the sun. There can be nothing new. So when he spoke one time, he had the advantage of speaking from eternity through time to eternity, seeing nothing new, spoke once and for all. Ah, in Mount Zion, we'd have some amens there. <laughs> Down in Sweet Home, the old deacons used to say, let's go in here and keep the preacher from suffering. <laughs> and it is suffering when you preach to a crowd who don't say amen. You suffer, brother. <laughs> but Mama argued the point that if it came from a perfect God, it had to be perfect. And if it came from a God who was all wise and who knew all, then it never needed any updating. It is as fresh as tomorrow morning's newspaper. Do you want to know what's going to be in the headline tomorrow? <clears throat> Here it is. There shall be wars and rumors of war. Perilous times shall come. Men, fathers shall be killing sons, and sons shall be killing fathers. Mothers shall be killing daughters, and daughters shall be killing mothers. The hearts of many shall wax cold. Get your paper in the morning and see if that's not, those are not the headlines. Ah, oh, this book, this book, this book is fresh. And Mama said that the difference between this book and all other books is that it's living word. She said you could read Humpty Dumpty set on the wall and as soon as you read it several times, you threw it in. You could read the San Diego Union, and as soon as you get through reading it right on the plane, you just pay a quarter for it. And as soon as you get through reading it and read the sports, you fold it up, you through with it. Soon as you get through reading Newsweek, you through with it. All of my college books unrelated to the Bible are stored away. I'm through with them. But this book. This book called the Holy Bible. 
Read it over and over again. I have now pastored the Mount Zion Church as of Sunday morning, 21 years. I am still preaching texts that I preached 21 years ago. Same text from the same Bible. And people are still crowding it out. We baptize every Sunday night, whether I'm in town or not. People come and say, Brother Preacher, it was the exact word for me today, but I preached that to you last year. But it's living word. It keeps coming forth. It keeps jumping at you. It keeps, you can, ah, uh, not so long ago, I was on the plane. And um, I picked up the Bible and it fell to the 23rd Psalms and I said, the Lord is my shepherd. How many times have I quoted that? In my hour of despair, I have quoted that. In my hour when I needed a little sweetness in my soul, I have quoted that scripture. And yet on the plane, halfway between somewhere, this scripture leaped at me. And instead of the Lord is my shepherd, I started praising God and tears started coming down and I got stuck on the law. The law. The law. That's all. I, I couldn't get no further. You who read the Bible through and through so many times, go back and let it go through you. And I got to the Lord. And I began to think how wonderful and great. And then I, I said, you know, that's the explanation of my being. That's how I made it out of the law cabin. The Lord. And then I said, the Lord, the creator, the sustainer, of the heavens and the earth is my shepherd. Oh, let me hear him tell somebody who's mine. He's my shepherd. This is living word. And the Bible says it's useful. You can do something with it. My text says you can reprove, you can correct this, this word. And sweet home took God's word at its word. And the old founders of that community structured everything around the idea that the Bible was the word of God. And they did not go so much to interpret all of that. They just, they just want to know what did it say. And that's why in my community, fathers took care of children. And husbands took care of wives. And wives took care of their families. They structured the school around the Bible because we cannot improve on this. The superintendent of public schools cannot think of nothing better than what we have. And so they structured our school. So my principal every morning and every teacher led us in a word of prayer. And it was always, and I came up until I was 17 years old, bombarded, thus saith the word. Thus saith the Bible. All of our community, the sinners in our community respected the Bible. Because everybody said, thus saith the Bible. There was ethics in work. Because we made it conform to it. 
And God gave us a community in which we had homes, churches, sweetness of spirit, unity, where the haves shedded with the have-nots, where when somebody got sick, as Lyndon Johnson said when he left Washington and they asked, why are you moving to Texas? And he just lived 70 miles from us. He said, because back down there, when you're sick, folk come to see you. And when you die, they cry. We shaped our whole community. We shaped our whole lives around the idea that we have a book and it is from God. Now, let me give you just two illustrations of what bearing that has had on my life. When I became the pastor of the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church 21 years ago, that church had just split in a bitter church fight twice. Two congregations had pulled out. That church had been to court 15 times in five years. That church had to have on a Sunday morning, 27 policemen to get order. And the night they called me, they had to have two policemen to keep order. And this is a missionary Baptist church. I have been there 21 years. When I accepted the church, we were in foreclosure, in debt, in court, and $151,000 worth of lawsuits against us. We had dwindled from 1,800 members to 581, and 81 of those were on the sick list. And they called, and three months later, after much prayer, because at the church I was passed, instead of 581 members, I had 1,100. Instead of being in court, we, hadn't, we didn't know nothing about a court. We were packed around the walls. We, were, we had to rent a park to have Sunday school. And yet the Lord said, I want you in Los Angeles, and I want you in a church that has had to have two policemen even to call you. Now, every white Baptist would have considered that God shutting the door. I saw it as an open door. I have now been there, Adrian, 21 years. Instead of foreclosure, we burnt the mortgage in six months. Instead of foreclosure. And instead of paying $151,000 worth of lawsuits, we settled all of the lawsuits for $800. Now why? Because when I became pastor of the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, I said, all right, now y'all want me as pastor? Yes. Okay, now... I'm your pastor, yes. Okay. Here it is from now on. Everybody's out of office. No deacons, no trustees, no nothing. We don't have nothing but a pastor. That's all we have. Everybody's out. Now meet me here on Wednesday night, and we're going to take the book. And from this book, we're going to first find out what a church is. And as soon as I teach you, then I'm going to ask you to vote on it. 
And when I got through teaching what the book said of church, I said, give me a motion. And they said, Pastor, I move. That's what we believe. That's it. That's it. And then I taught the second lesson on what a pastor is. Who is a pastor? When I got through teaching, I said, give me a motion. And they said, Brother Pastor, I move. That's what we believe. And I went right down for a year and a half every Wednesday night dealing with a word, with an issue, with a position according to the book and got through. And in 21 years, we have not had 21 minutes of trouble. Oh. oh, you can trust the book. You can lean on the book. The book is trustworthy. The book can be leaned on. The book can be followed. The book can correct. It can root up. It can tear down. If you know the book, you can walk up to a structure like I did that had existed for 69 years. And, and it fell down. And then God let us build it up again. Last week will probably go down in history as one of the most challenging weeks that I have ever had. I was invited about a year ago come and preach a week of religious emphasis at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Now Morehouse, to the Negro, is what Harvard is to the white community. It's a very prestigious all-male school. It's the school of Martin Luther King. It's the school of Dr. Howard Thurman. It's the school. 85% of all Negro college presidents are graduates of Morehouse. More than 60% of all Negro doctors are graduates of Morehouse. And it's right in the middle of the Atlanta system where there are six Negro colleges, Atlanta University, Spelman, and all of the schools. And they invited me. I, I, I had to fly down there to talk to the dean while I was coming through there. And I talked to the dean. I said, now, why would you invite me? I said, do you know who I am? I, I'll send you my resume. And uh, because I don't think I'm the one you want. And I sent him my resume. He said, Hill, are you a member of the moral majority? Yeah. He said, well, you're right. I don't want you. He said, but uh, come on. I said, no, I don't, I don't need to come. No, no, we want you to come. And Atlanta at this particular time in history is one of the most critical cities. It is a city of materialism. It is a city of black idolatry. Everything is black, 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 black. It is a city of idolatry to Martin Luther King, who wouldn't have wanted it had he be, been living today. It is a city of humanism. It is a city of socialism. It is a city of just, it, 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 it's just a great big mess. And so I said, I'm going down there. And I told our church I was going and I didn't want to go by myself. So 40 of them decided to go down with me. <laughs> that pastor, if you get in trouble, we'll all be in trouble. <laughs> and so we went down there and I said to the, uh, to the, to the dean, I said, now what, what, what generally happens? And in that huge auditorium where they have freedom of speech and all that kind of, 
He said, we normally have about 200 students that seat 2,500. And I said, now may I give an invitation? He said, well, I don't think it would work here. Uh, that would really be frowned upon. We generally talk about situation, ethics, and life. I said, no, I want to preach. <laughs> and then there was an organized committee of professors from various schools, including the white seminary down there, that came over to protest. And they had a, a, some kind of question and answer for me. And the militant students came out, and the Muslims came out, and said, Hill shouldn't be on Morehouse campus. He believes, and this is what they said, he believes that there is no error in the Bible. He believes that women ought to be women, and men ought to be men, and there's no third entity. He's an evangelical. He runs around with Billy Graham and with Jerry Farwell and all that. And then they add everything to Paul Fuel. He's a Republican. But at Morehouse, with 2.9% strike against me, I remembered what Mama told me about the Bible. And I just preached some of the texts. Her first text was at Morehouse. Now I'm standing at prestigious Morehouse. You must be born again. Enter in by the narrow way. And last week at Morehouse, when I got to the invitation, I used terms that I knew would offend some, but I wanted to understand. I want to know in this auditorium, and it wasn't 200, it was 1,100. I want to know if there's one in here who is a sinner. Well, there's no such thing in higher criticism. I want to know if there's anybody in this school that's not afraid before your fraternity brothers, before some of your professors who don't even believe in what I'm talking about, who know that you're a sinner, and if you would die now, you would go to hell. There is no hell anymore. And yet, right down those aisles, 41 young men profess Jesus Christ for the first time, and 253 said, I'm a backslider, and returned to the church in the campus of Morehouse. This book, this book, this book, this book, this book, this book, this book cuts like a two-edged sword. This book converts hearts. This book sweetens the sour spirit. This book guides me when I'm lost. This book light unto my path. This book food for my hungry soul. Brother preachers, trust it, trust it, trust it. Don't adjust it, trust it. You've been listening to Dr. Edward Victor Hill. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.